Hey friends, you are listening to Real Talk with Rachel, and I'm your host, Rachel Gilbert. I am a therapist on mission to bridge the gap between mental and emotional health and faith. This show is a safe and often fun space with real conversations to help you live free and pursue your God-given dreams. Remember, these episodes are meant to be educational, not a replacement for your own therapist. You can tune in on Mondays for short talk therapy episodes that are always 15 minutes or less. And on Wednesdays, we sprinkle in guest interviews with people that I feel have a story that can bring you hope, healing, inspiration, or just a good laugh. Be sure to stick around until the end of the show for a short segment where I share counselor-approved strategies to take this Real Talk episode and make it relevant in your everyday life through simple action steps. In today's episode, we are chatting with Lee Strobel about his new book and documentary, The Case for Heaven. My friends, if you have ever wrestled with anything that comes to your faith, you have got to check out Lee's resources. Today, we're primarily talking about The Case for Heaven. You might know him by The Case for Christ, The Case for Grace. He's written all kinds of things. So let me tell you a little about Lee and then let me just introduce you to him on the show because you're going to love him. So atheist turned Christian Lee Strobel, the former award-winning legal editor of the Chicago Tribune, is a New York Times best-selling author of more than 40 books that have sold 14 million copies in total. Okay, can we just repeat that again? 14 million copies in total. It's amazing how his work has spread far and wide. He currently serves as founding director of the Lee Strobel Center for Evangelism and Applied Apologetics at Colorado Christian University. In 2017, Lee's spiritual journey was depicted in an award-winning motion picture, The Case for Christ, which showed in theaters around the world. Lee and his wife, Leslie, have been married for 48 years, and their daughter, Allison, is a novelist and homeschooling expert, and their son, Kyle, is a professor of spiritual theology at the Talbot School of Theology at Biola University. You, if you've not met Lee yet, I promise you, you're going to run out and buy all of his books. Uh, I can't wait to introduce you to him, so let's do it right now. Help me welcome Lee to the show. Well, hello, Lee, and welcome to the show. Well, thanks so much. Appreciate you having me. Yeah, so we were just starting to chat right before we hit record that your new documentary, The Case for Heaven, released today. Yes, it it, uh, is April 4th, 5th, and 6th, uh, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday this week uh, in movie theaters all across the country, over 1,000 theaters. Uh, I think it's 7 o'clock starting time, local time, at each one of those theaters. Awesome. Now, uh, after it's not in theaters, will people be able to access it somewhere? Yeah, it'll be streaming. We don't know the platform yet. We're still negotiating with a few uh, streaming services, but uh, we will let people know uh, where they can see it streaming. I hope, though, people see it in the movies because the cinematography is just breathtaking. It, it, I can't wait. I'm going tonight with a group from, uh, from my neighborhood uh, here in Colorado, and uh, I can't wait to see it. I haven't seen it yet in the big screen. But, uh, man, we shot this film in uh, oh, everywhere from the coast of Oregon, which is beautiful, to Sedona, Arizona, to Washington, D.C., Cambridge, England, uh, Louisiana. Uh, just absolutely stunning photography. And um, so I can't wait to see it in the big screen. 
Yeah, I'm on, I'm going to go too. Um, my husband and I are actually and my three kids. We had a chance to watch it, and oh, good. it was amazing. And I actually made an Instagram post about this. Um, actually, just last week, God's timing never ceases to amaze me. But um, just last week, we lost two family members. Um, and it was one of those things where this mo- this documentary was just a really cool thing to just confirm the things that we believe, but then also our three kids, you know, like they lost an aunt and they lost a great grandma and for them to have some hope of heaven, right? And to like get that truth poured into them and it just struck up such great conversations. Uh, So I had asked my people there on Instagram for questions for you. They gave me a whole bunch. I had a whole bunch for you too. So I'm like, okay, we got to decide what we're going to do here. But this is not the first um, book you've written. You started with Case for Christ, your first book. No, I actually had done a few before that, but that was my first bestseller. Okay. Okay. So most people probably do know you by Case for Christ, Case for Grace. We have the kids' versions of those for my kids as well. Um, And they love those. So your story, though, for the listeners who may not know, is you are an atheist turned theologian, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. By the way, I'm sorry about the family losses that you went through. Uh, You know, 29% of Americans uh, know someone who's died during the pandemic. And so I think that makes this topic especially relevant for folks uh, but yeah, I was an atheist for much of my life. My background's in journalism and law. And uh, so I was a legal editor of the Chicago Tribune newspaper. Uh, my wife was kind of, I don't know, an agnostic, kind of spiritually confused. She met a woman who was a Christian. They became best friends, went to church with her, checked it out, asked questions. And uh, ultimately, my wife uh, became a, a Christian, which I thought was the worst news I could get. And I decided to use my journalism and legal training to disprove Christianity so that I could you know, rescue her from this cult that she'd gotten involved in. And I spent two years investigating the evidence, especially the resurrection of Jesus, uh, until I became convinced that it's not legend, it's not make-believe, it's not wishful thinking. It's based on a solid foundation of historical truth. And that's what brought me to faith on November the 8th of 1981. And then ultimately, I left uh, journalism at a 60% pay cut and uh, joined the staff of a church to spend the best hours of my day uh, sharing the good news. Oh, I love that. Well, and my husband, when he got saved, he actually has a really cool salvation story. He got saved at when he was 21 years old at vacation Bible study, which was he was there for the food. It was it's a funny story. <laughs> I love for him to share because he's this big football guy. And he's like, yeah, yeah. He, he had went for the food and ended up getting saved. Um, wow. But your book, Case for Christ, was the first book that he read after he got saved because he was like he knew something had happened in his heart. But he's like, Okay, who's this Jesus guy that I just signed up to follow? Like, what's this about? So, (laughs) yeah. Um, So, one of the questions that I that somebody on Instagram did ask, and I thought this is a great question. What would you say to the listener who has a spouse or relative or friend who is an atheist or just not a believer? How can they support them in that time? Yeah, that's a great, great question. And my wife and I actually wrote a book on this that I think would be helpful um, because we had two years in what we call the spiritual mismatch, where she was a new on fire Christian and I was a hardcore atheist. And it was a very difficult time in our marriage. We've been married now 50 years by God's grace. Um, but uh, that was a very difficult two years. So we wrote a book about it called Spiritual Mismatch. And I recommend that book to anybody who's going through that. I think the three quick things that I would say uh, is in the midst of that mismatch, make sure you build into three relationships. The first relationship is your relationship with God. Uh, Make sure that that you are 
growing in your spiritual relationship because he's the one who's going to change you uh, in winsome and attractive ways in front of your spouse. Uh, next, make sure you uh, maintain your relationship with your spouse. You know, sometimes there's going to be a wedge between the two of you. So look for those things that you love to do in common and continue to do them, whether it's go on bike rides together, whatever. Don't ignore those things. You know, leverage those things to stay close to your spouse. And then third, um, have a good relationship with a spiritual mentor. Find someone of the same gender who um, can be a, a shoulder to cry on, someone who's more mature in their faith, who can uh, advise you and encourage you in your spiritual growth. I think those are three key relationships. But that book has a lot more advice and also has a 30-day prayer guide that I think would be helpful as well. That's amazing. You have provided so many great resources. I just want to publicly thank you for that. I am a counselor by day and oh, I counsel a lot of people who are wrestling through their faith, you know, kind of like, I don't know what I believe. And I can't tell you the number of times I've been able to send your resources their way. And so thank you for that. And I actually didn't know about that book. And so we're adding that one to the list of <laughs> resources to recommend. So listeners, as you can see, I could talk to Lee all day about all of your books. And but today we're talking. So we're going to have to just bring you on another time to talk about all the other topics that we want to get to, because uh, we have we've got to get into your most recent I, I got your book case for heaven actually at the uh, aacc conference in orlando oh yeah were you there yes i was oh, so i got to hear you speak there and i got it there and got to read it and then when i saw this was coming out into documentary i'm like oh, oh my goodness i have to have him on the show to talk about this because it's oh. just such a relevant topic i think for everybody but especially my my show is very uh, relevant for my listeners and so i would love for you to tell us about you had a near-death experience that led you to research this topic, the case for heaven. Can you tell us about that? Yeah. By the way, Tim Clinton, the president of the American Association of Christian Counselors, is interviewing me tomorrow morning for oh, cool. uh, radio show. So that's cool. Coincidence. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I uh, ten years ago, I almost died. Uh, my wife found me unconscious on the bedroom floor. Uh, she called an ambulance. I woke up in the emergency room, and I remember looking into the face of the doctor, and he said, "You're one step away from a coma, two steps away from dying." And then I fell unconscious again. I had a, an unusual medical condition called hyponatremia, which is a severe drop in my blood sodium level. And um, you, you can't live with that. And, and so I hovered between life and death for quite a while until the doctors were able to save my life. But what I found is that's a very clarifying experience <laughs> because if you've ever been close to death like that, nothing becomes more important than what happens uh, when you close your eyes for the last time in this world. Um, that becomes paramount. And, and if it's important to us then, it ought to be important to us now. So as a Christian, I believe what the Bible teaches about the afterlife, but I still got this skeptical streak from my atheist days. And so I decided to uh, interview experts, neuroscientists and, and historians and theologians and uh, experts on near-death experience and so forth to try to see, is there evidence that supports what the Bible tells us about life after death? And I found after extensive investigation that indeed the evidence does point toward uh, the fact that we will live on after we die in this world. Yeah, I can relate to that little bit of skepticism. I was never an atheist. I was brought up in a Christian home, but I am a science and math mind girl, which is kind of interesting that I've ended up becoming a counselor, but my undergrad is in science. And wow. so I am still one of those people that 
if you can explain the why to me, I'll be on board. But until you can like give me, I'm like, I need, I need some proof. Like, you know, you can't just tell me because, and I'm going to be okay with that. Like, just because <laughs> I said awesome. so, I'm not one of those it. people that's okay with it. So that's probably also why I love your work that you've done with this. So I love what you said that exactly, if you have a near death experience, it forces you to come toe to toe with that fear of death because most people in fact, I've heard it said that most people would rather be in the coffin at a funeral than to be the speaker at the funeral, you know, like, like, you know, they're like, well, I guess that that says you that fear of public speaking is more than death. But I think some people, I still think some people um, are just, you know, so afraid of death that we don't even want to talk about it, you know, unless you're just forced to. And so in the documentary, you talked about this a bit that people deal with the fear of death by denial. And so yes. just like, hey, what even just so you look at our culture, like, let's see how long I can pretend like I'm not aging. And, <laughs> you right. know, like, let's let's do all the things to just avoid the fact that we're getting older and that I am one day going to die. Like that's going to happen. And so can you talk about have you experienced in when you started researching this topic of heaven? Did you were you met with resistance from people wanting to learn about heaven or did it do the opposite and bring some hope? It brought hope. Mm -hmm. um, I find that you're absolutely right, that there is this fear of death that permeates uh, our culture in many ways. But at the same time, I think the fact that the pandemic happened and there's a lot of people who know someone who's died, um, it's made this a very relevant issue. And people, I think, these days are probably more willing to discuss it than maybe they were four, four or five years ago. Uh, you know, the Ecclesiastes says eternity was planted in our hearts by God. And so we have in us a desire to live forever. And if you, if you don't believe in God, you try to do it by making your name carry on. You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to design a cathedral or paint a masterpiece and my name will live on in history or do a terrible crime like Mark David Chapman uh, shot John Lennon because he said he wanted his name to go down in history. Um, so people have these uh, various ways to try to live on through their names, but that doesn't work. They're dead anyway. So what does it really matter? Uh, I find that uh, when people understand that there is good evidence that we live on, they find that to be um, a, a message of hope. Yeah, absolutely. And you, uh, you did some research also on the soul. I, I don't know that I hear much teachings on what the soul is. Yeah. So what did you find in your investigation about the soul? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. The Bible has about 200 references to the soul, but it doesn't have one verse that says, let me define the soul for you. Yeah. It just presumes we know we have a soul. In fact, every culture virtually around the planet has always believed in a soul, a consciousness, a spirit. We're not just a, a meat machine. We're not just a computer made out of meat. We are a, a, a hyphenated creature. That is, we are a body, but we're also a soul. And that's the center of our, uh, our introspection, of our consciousness, of our awareness, of our creativity, and so forth. So what happens, you know, the, the um, Apostle Paul says to be, uh, absent from the bodies to be present with the Lord. Uh, Jesus told the repentant criminal on the cross, today you'll be with me in paradise, which suggests that there are really two aspects to the afterlife. The first is called the intermediate state. And th this means that when we die, our soul, our spirit, our consciousness uh, separates from our body and continues to live on um, either in the presence of the Lord or apart from him. And then the second phase of heaven begins at the consummation of history, when Jesus returns, when we're united with our now resurrected bodies, when we uh, go through final judgment, and then we spend eternity in either a very physical heaven 
or physical health. So it's important to know that indeed we have a soul because otherwise, if we didn't, our physical body would be dead and, and we wouldn't have a soul to continue to live on. So uh, I think it's important that we look at the evidence for the soul. So for the book and for the movie, I interviewed Dr. Sharon Dierichs. She's a PhD uh, neuroscientist from Cambridge University. And she wrote a book called Am I Just My Brain? in which she presents a powerful case. And no, we are not just a, a, a skull with a brain inside that has neurons firing, but you have a spirit, you have a soul, you have a consciousness. And then I looked at near-death experiences to try to tell me, is it possible that the soul, the spirit, continues to live on at least beyond our clinical death? And I was shocked at how much evidence there is for um, uh, near-death experiences. That is evidence that shows us that we do continue to live on. Yeah, didn't she call it? Um, that didn't she say we're not we're more than a meat machine? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right, and and you know if if we were just a meat machine, there would be no such thing as free will. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you would just be driven by your genetics and by the neurons firing in your brain. So we couldn't hold anybody responsible for a bad thing they did. We couldn't even reward someone for something good that they did because they didn't have a choice. It just makes no sense. The the logic of um, saying there is no soul just doesn't add up. Yeah. I also wrote down a quote, and I believe you attributed it to somebody, so you can give the name for this, but that I am a soul and I have a body. That's right. That's Dr. J.P. Moreland, the famous okay. evangelical Christian uh, philosopher. Exactly. See, and that struck me. I'm actually writing my first book right now, and it's on body image. And oh, um, it's in the editing phase right now. I told my husband, I was like, oh, I should have put that that quote in the book. and Because that's just so good that we yeah. live in a culture. We're really, really uh, very obsessed with our body, but not not very many people are too obsessed with our soul and researching that's it so and, true. you know, cultivating it. And so that, that line really struck me. All right, let's jump forward. I know a lot of listeners' ears perked up when you said the near-death experiences. Uh, That was extremely interesting to me. And again, another reason why y'all listening, you need to go and watch the documentary because there were just so many cool things in there that we're not going to get to go into today, but I would love for them to just get a glimpse of some of the stuff that you found. What were some of the commonalities that you found in their experiences and how it lines up with what the Bible says about those experiences? that's a real good point. First of all, I was a skeptic about near-death experiences when I began um, until I found out there are 900 scholarly articles written about near-death experiences in scientific and medical journals over the last 40 years or so. It's a very well-researched area. And in fact, The Lancet, which is a famous medical journal in England, uh, carried an analysis of near-death experiences where they concluded that none of the alternative explanations can account for this phenomenon. So what I looked for were cases where there was corroboration where someone sees something or hears something during their out-of-body experience that would be impossible for them to see or hear if it wasn't a legitimate out-of-body experience. And so my favorite story is a woman named Maria who died of a heart attack in the hospital. And, but she said later, yeah, I was clinically dead, but I was conscious the whole time. And she described how her spirit, just as the Bible describes, separated from her body. And she watched from, uh, uh, as she was kind of floating in the, the hospital room, she watched the resuscitation efforts on her body. And then her spirit floated up and out of the hospital. And then when she was revived, her spirit returned to her body. She said, oh, by the way, there's a man's tennis shoe on the roof of the hospital. It's on the third story ledge, it's left footed, it's a dark blue shoe, there's some wear over the little toe and the shoelace is tucked under the heel. 
So they went up and they checked out. And sure enough, they found it exactly as she had said. How is that possible if indeed her spirit had not truly gone through that experience? That's just one of many corroboration uh, cases that I examine in my book. And we, we look at several of them in the, in the film as well. But the, back to the question you asked specifically, I think this is so pivotal. I interviewed John Burke for both the movie and the book. Uh, John Burke is a Christian pastor. He studied a thousand near-death experiences over the last 30 years. And he looked at the commonalities among near-death experiences, not how people interpret them, but what typically happens. And what he concluded is that when you look at what actually takes place, it is consistent with Christian theology. It's consistent with what the Bible tells us. That is uh, that is very, very important because I don't take my theology about the afterlife from near-death experience. I take it from the Bible. But it's good to know that even the near-death experiences confirm for us what the Apostle Paul said, what Jesus said about our spirit, our soul separating at the time of clinical death. I love the phrase that you said there, and I think it's important to say again, it was their experience, not how they interpreted it. Yes. That's really important. Yeah. It was important because um, people can look at things differently through a different Mm -hmm. lens, you know, a different cultural lens or religious lens. For instance, if a Hindu has a near-death experience and says, oh, um, I encountered a being of light who was holding a book, they might interpret that as saying, oh, that's the, the God of karma. And he's trying to determine, do I need to be reincarnated and and work off my bad karma or whatever? But it's consistent with Christian theology because the Bible tells us that, yes, indeed, there is a being of light who has a book of life whose name we hope ours is written in if we receive God's grace. So it's how we, not how we interpret it, but what we actually uh, see and, and, and encounter in these experiences. The other thing that's interesting is they looked at 500 cases of Hindus in India who had near-death experiences, and guess what? Not one of them encountered Shiva, the, the, the Hindu gods. They didn't. That's not what they encountered. Um, not one of them had um, reincarnation uh, occur. In other words, many of the fundamentals of the Hindu religion are not reflected in near-death experiences. But they looked at 500 comparable cases in North America, and they concluded that, no, when you, when you look at these cases in general, they do point toward a theology that matches what the Bible teaches. Interesting. Now, did you find any near-death experiences that were negative near-death experiences? Absolutely. About 23% okay. uh, are negative, and, and some are so horrific that people have uh, PTSD, um, post-traumatic stress syndrome, wow. uh, PTS, whatever that yeah. is, whether the officials are that are. You're right. You as a counselor. <laughs> yeah. But um, in the movie, we interview Howard Storm, who was an atheist. He was a professor of art and the chairman of the art department at a secular university. He dies in the hospital. He's clinically dead. But he said, I was conscious the whole time. And he was beckoned by some people in the hallway saying, hey, come with us, come with us. So he, his spirit got out of bed and, and followed these guys. Well, they went on a long journey together and became uh, violent and they attacked him. And he said, I was literally reduced to roadkill. He said, he said, no horror film can begin to capture, suggest how horrific 
this assault was. And in the middle of it, he called out to God, God, rescue me. And uh, Jesus came to him, rescued him. Uh, and, and when he was finally revived, this was so real to him, so powerful to him. He not only renounced his atheism, he not only quit his tenured position at the university, he not only became a Christian, he became an ordained pastor. And to this day is pastor of a little church in rural Kentucky. So God transformed his life through that experience. Now, keep in mind one thing that's important to remember. These people who have near-death experiences are clinically dead. In other words, zero brain waves, zero heartbeat, no breathing. Many of them are actually declared dead. Some are on the way to the morgue when they are revived. But they're not irreversibly dead because they're going to come back. You know, So what we're seeing may not be totally reflective of what happens when a person dies who is not coming back. You see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So that's why I say at, at minimum, these near-death experiences tell us that we will live on after clinical death. I, I can't tell you how long, but at least that's what it shows. There is a continuation of our spirit. Yeah, my mind goes to, okay, so what if w I was like dying for real? Yeah. Do I get to see all this? Like, do I get to see all my family hovering around and being sad? And then I yeah. go on to heaven. You know, the, I mean, and the, we don't have those answers because, of course, these people all came back, like you said. Yes. So yes. that's intriguing to me. That's a that's one of those deep things that I think about. Like, hmm, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> um, OK, now we have to talk about the elephant in the room that I think you even mentioned. You don't hear many pastors speak on and it's hell. <laughs> um, yeah. That's a stumbling block for a lot of people. And I my husband and I, after well, our whole family, we were talking about the documentary after we watched it. Felt like you gave a perspective on this. I have never heard anybody give. Can you briefly share that with the listeners? Yeah. Sure. Um, and I have two chapters in my book on hell because I think it's important that we explore that topic. Uh, but I think there's a lot of misunderstandings about hell. One is that it's a place of high thermal output. Mm hmm. You know, the Bible uses metaphors and figures of speech. Um, in other words, the one figure of speech is flames and another figure of speech is darkness. Well, they both can't be true because the flames would light up the place. So what it's suggesting, what the metaphor means is this is the worst possible place you can find yourself in, but doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be a fire and brimstone. Um, but the other thing I think is really important is that I think we can interpret Jesus' teachings as indicating that not everyone will have the same experience in hell. In other words, it's not a one-size-fits-all kind of experience. Um, and I base it on a couple of things that Jesus said. One, he said that certain cities are going to suffer more because he came and he did miracles in those cities, and they still rejected him they will suffer more than cities where he didn't go to do miracles. And then he tells a parable about um, servants who will be punished in a greater way because they knew what the master wanted and they didn't do it anyway, um, as opposed to those who didn't know what the master wanted, but they still did wrong um, anyway. And so there appears to be degrees of punishment for those who uh, are consigned to hell. And I think that's consistent with what we would expect from the justice of God that you know, one size wouldn't fit all. And I think it's important to understand that nobody from any culture at any time will be able to legitimately, after being judged by God, to shake their fist at him and say that was unfair. We will ultimately see the fairness of God's judgment. The Bible says in Genesis, will not the judge of all the earth do what's right? And of course, Jesus is fairer than we are. He's just. Um, and, and so 
um, I think we can expect that God's justice will be will prevail in hell, but in a way that's consistent with what we respect from justice, and that is not everyone would have the same experience. Absolutely, and I also loved your perspective on. You can correct the way I'm about to say this because I'm going to say it in the way I interpreted it from the documentary, but how it stuck with me and that something that a lot of people have struggled with is how could a good God send people to hell? And you address this by saying he doesn't send them. He gives them what they asked for. And meaning if I chose my entire life here on earth to be separated from him, you know, I've denied his existence. I've said, I don't want anything to do with you. Then in eternity, he says, okay, that's what you chose. You don't want to be with me. So I'm just giving you what you've asked me for. Did I explain that well? (laughs) Excellent. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, that's exactly true. And I think for some people, heaven would be hell. So in other words, people who hate the idea of God, who live their whole life shaking their fist at the God they claim doesn't exist and so forth, uh, for them to be in heaven, which is to be in the very presence of God for eternity, would be something they couldn't stand. And so you're right. We, we make our own choices. And God, at, at the end of our lives, kind of seals that decision and said, you, you've chosen in your life. You know, Romans 1.20 says, we all know from creation that God exists, but we tend to suppress that. We tend to walk the other way. And if you have suppressed that, if you have walked the other way and you didn't care to um, live with me during your lifetime, I'm going to confirm that decision for eternity. I think that, again, that's that seems fair to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's the free will thing, right? Yeah. 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 Exactly. Now, I do in my book critique um, uh, two counter views. One is annihilationism, which are people who believe that at the point of death, non-believers will not go to hell for eternity, but will be snuffed out of existence. Hmm. Uh, uh, Seventh-day Adventists take that position. The famous evangelical scholar John Stott uh, in the 20th century, one of the great evangelical leaders, took that position at the end of his life. It's not a heretical position because it's a secondary issue. I analyze it in my book. In fact, I had an annihilationist tell me that I did a great job of spelling out the evidence that they use from Scripture. You can make a pretty darn good case, honestly, from Scripture that annihilationism is true. But it's not a good enough case. Um, I, pres- I, I offer the other side that shows that it, it's inconsistent with teachings from both the Old and the New Testament. But it's not a heretical position. It's an increasingly popular position. I just don't think it's well, totally well supported biblically. The other is universalism, which is the belief that everybody's going to go to heaven. Adolf Hitler, we're going to hang around with him in heaven for eternity. And that's a popular position among some pastors. Um, But again, I critique that from both the Old and the New Testament in the book uh, to show that just does not stand up to Scripture. Yeah. And that is, by the way, I believe a heretical position. Yeah. Oh, okay. So if people are listening and they're wanting to do watch the documentary and read the book, do you have a recommendation on which comes first or does it matter? It doesn't really matter. You know, it's interesting, the question, though, because they're two different experiences, mm-hmm. you know. The book goes into more depth um, and is a great resource to have to go back to, to look at some of these issues. I look at reincarnation and, and why I don't believe in that. I, I look at uh, universalism, annihilationism, heaven and hell issues and so forth. But the movie is, a, it's it's more of an emo- not. I'm going to put it this way. It is both an intellectual and an emotional experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
because cinema is the language of young people. And I wanted to be able to communicate to a younger audience uh, in a format that they would respond to. And so it's just a different kind of experience. Yeah, I agree. And I I appreciated too the uh, documentary, how it brought some of those topics just to life visually. Um, And then, yeah, I have, you know, our kids are two teenagers and then a 10 year old. And I don't know if that's your target audience or not, but it was just really cool to let them get to experience that with us and then have those conversations because it's stuff that they're thinking, but they don't always know how to bring and they, they probably don't recognize they're thinking it, but sure, sure. of course it's there. And especially when you have a death in the family or whatever, and they kind of have these looming questions. And then I want to be the one as the parent that gets to have those conversations with them rather than them having it maybe at school yeah. with friends who don't, who, you know, believe in something exactly. completely crazy that, <laughs> yeah. Um, Okay, so one other cool question, and we'll finish on this, and then I've got a few just uh, housekeeping things that you can tell people where to get all the things. Uh, Somebody on Instagram asked, and I thought it was a good question. She works with women who are grieving the loss of, like, um, widows and things like that, you know. And so she said, did you find anything in your discoveries that had any kind of proof or anything to whenever people look for signs from their loved ones after they've passed? Does that make, does that question make sense? Yes, yes. yes. Um, you know, I don't, be, I'm very skeptical of that. Uh-huh. I think they can it counterfeits, uh, you know, the, the uh, Jesus talked about in his parable of Lazarus and the rich man, that there's a chasm between the living and the dead. So, and, and we're told in, in the old Testament not to get involved with trying to communicate with um, spirits that have passed. So that's not something I recommend that people get involved with. Um, and I would be skeptical of those. Yeah. Yeah. And I know that's putting you on the spot, but I'm like, well, people want to know. Sometimes I like to just talk about these things and, you know, if we have to wrestle it out together, but thank you for your honesty on that. And then I'll obviously bringing it back to scripture as well. That's always the, the bottom line decider on everything. Okay, Lee. I could talk to you for another hour, but we're going to let you go. But I do want to make sure that you give listeners a chance to know where they can find out more about all of your books, the documentary, all the things. Yeah, um, the, the documentary, if they go to thecaseforheavenmovie.com, uh, they can see the trailer and they can put in their zip code and it will tell them what local theaters have the film. Again, it's only Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday of this week. Uh, uh, It will stream after that, but as I say, we don't know which platform that'll be on. In terms of the book, um, Amazon or um, uh, christianbook.com or any retailer has the case for heaven. Uh, I'm grateful it's currently the number one best-selling apologetics book out there. Uh, thanks to uh, wonderful folks who, who were interested in that topic. So um, that's available. There's also a curriculum called The Case for Heaven and Hell. Uh, that is a five-week video-driven curriculum that I teach on video uh, that churches can use in small groups or Sunday school classes. That's available. We also have a, a student edition of the book. I'm thinking of your kids, especially uh, for kids who are, I'd say, 8 to 12 uh, in that range. And uh, it's called the Young Readers Edition of The Case for Heaven. Case for Heaven is also on audio. Some people I know love audio books. I wish I did because it's a great way to access books. I'm just not into it. I got to get into it, I think. But anyway, there is a, um, uh, an audio book and I read it. And sometimes it's nice to have the author reading the book. 
So those resources are available. And I hope that believers walk away encouraged and hopeful. And I hope, you know, this is a, a book you can give to a non-believer. One last thing I'll mention, um, I have a small book. It's 64 pages. You get them for a buck um, at christianbook.com. It's the only place you can get it. And it's a giveaway book. It has the essence of the book, The Case for Heaven, but it's condensed and it's shorter, obviously. Uh, but I just recently bought 1,600 copies and gave one to every student at Colorado Christian University with the idea of giving it away to someone between now and Easter. Um, so it's a book you can give to someone who's not a believer. I just I just had lunch a couple hours ago here in Denver, and I gave the waiter uh, a real nice tip, but I also gave him a copy of that little booklet. The booklet is called Why Believe in Heaven. And uh, the only place it has it is christianbook.com. So that's another resource. So we're trying to equip people uh, so that they're ready to give an answer to people who ask them the questions, as First Peter 3.15 tells us, but also to give away a resource that might be helpful. Is that a new resource, the Why Believe in Heaven? Yeah. Okay. Brand new, just came out. Yep. All right. I, when we get off here, I'm going to go order several copies too. I love that wow. because I can't tell you, this is why, again, I just want to tell you how timely this is because I have just been meeting more and more people who are really just kind of wrestling with, I think I want to walk away from faith. Like they're just really, it's a theme. I'm like, okay, Lord, I'm not sure why you're sending all these people my way, but you are. So now I've been trying to gather my resources. So like you said, I'm ready for an answer when those yeah. people come into our way. And I think that as believers, we're going to just experience more and more of this. And so thank you for doing the heavy lifting and doing the research and getting packaging this up in a way that we can then just turn around and, and bless people with it. Um, any final words of encouragement for, before the, for the listeners before we go? Yeah, just one last word. Um, I interviewed Luis Palau, um, the famous evangelist who shared his faith with a billion people. Uh, during his lifetime. Uh, he knew he was dying. I had the last interview with him before he passed into heaven. And you hear the audio tape of that in the movie and in, in the book, I have a full chapter on it. But one thing he said to me, and this is not in the movie for some reason, but it's in the book, uh, before he died, and I think this is relevant to every Christian. He said, Lee, when you get to the end of your life and all is said and done, you will never regret being courageous for Christ. Mm-hmm. So whatever that means for each of us, you know, being courageous might mean inviting a non-believer to come to Easter services at church. It might mean giving them a copy of this Why Believe in Heaven book. Uh, who knows what it means for each person? But I thought, how profound is that? That at the end of our life, we'll look back and those times when we took that social risk or whatever it was and spoke up and, and offered the gospel, got into a spiritual conversation, we'll never at the end of our life regret having done that. We will never regret being courageous for Christ. Need to write that one down. That was worthy of repeating. That is a beautiful way to end today's conversation. Lee, thank you again for taking time out of your schedule to come on. I can't wait for the listeners to hear this, and I really can't wait. Listeners, this is your charge from me. Go watch the documentary in theaters. We need to do that. And then we can also stream it later, too. So. <laughs> God bless you. Thanks. Wonderful talking with you. I really enjoyed it and great to communicate with all your uh, listeners as well. Well, it is time for Let's Get Real Practical. This is the part of the show where we take the topic discussed with today's guest and we get into some practical steps that you can implement into your life right now. Now, you've heard me say more than once to Lee that I've just been surrounded by a lot of people who are just wrestling with their faith. 
And I want to just speak to the person listening today who you're going, that's me. And in fact, there might be some of you listening who you don't even really know why you tuned in today. And it's probably because you're just curious. You're searching for some answers. You're wondering if Jesus is real, if he cares. You're wondering definitely if God is real and if he cares about you personally. You're curious about heaven. Uh, You just don't know where you stand. And maybe some of you even were brought up in Christian homes, and that makes the wrestling even harder because you're going, oh, I was, I mean, I was taught this, but I know it in my head, but I don't know it in my heart. And sometimes that can be a really scary place to be, and you don't know who you can talk to about it. And I just want to encourage you in this today and say, God sees you. Because I don't think it's a coincidence that I've been surrounded by people, whether it's my counseling clients or just friends, or I can even, I can tell you story after story of even uh, a waitress I met, like that are wrestling with their faith and what they believe. And I want to encourage you, if that's you, you're not alone. More people are wrestling than we realize because it's kind of just a weird topic to bring up. And in fact, I've noticed when people do bring it up, it's almost like we want to whisper about it because we're going, I don't know if you're a safe place. And if you are somebody who's listening and you've been hurt by religions, hurt by other Christians, I just want to tell you I'm so sorry. And I just want to ask you to open your heart to see what God might want to speak to you today. I don't think it's a coincidence that not only have I had a recurring theme of people wrestling out their faith, but then that I had this opportunity to interview, to bring to you all an interview with Lee Strobel, who has done so much research around this topic. If you have not read The Case for Christ, you need to go ahead and go get a copy of that today. And again, all his other books are amazing too, but you have got to just get your hands on resources that are giving you both sides. Because something tells me if you're wrestling in your faith, you could Google and find all kinds of resources that would tell you God's not real, that would tell you Jesus is some made up thing or myth that we cling to as some kind of coping thing. You're going to find all kinds of blogs and articles that will speak to that side of things. So I want to humbly ask you to also give another perspective. And Lee's resources are a great way to do that. So here's your get real practical segment piece for you. I want you to get honest with yourself about your faith. I want you to take time to ask, what do I believe about Jesus Christ? What do I believe about God, about heaven? What do I believe about all this? See, it's one thing to be brought up in a Christian home and to be just looking at what your parents or grandparents did, but God wants an intimate relationship with you. You might have heard it said before that God doesn't have grandkids, and that means we can't ride on the faith of our family, of our friends, of our parents, of our grandparents. We need to have our own personal relationship with Jesus Christ. So if that's you today, I want to ask you to just open your heart to receive and then do some research, but get some research in you like these resources that are coming from Lee. Get into God's word and see what you can see there. 
And then allow yourself that space to wrestle. If you don't currently have a safe person that you can talk to about that wrestling, can I highly encourage you get your, into some Christian counseling? That should be a safe space for you to wrestle. There are all kinds of places. If you go to aacc.net, that's the American Association of Christian Counselors. I'm a part of that group. You can look up there at whatever state you live in. You can find someone there. If you live in the state of Texas, you can, of course, seek counseling with me in person or virtual. You can go to rachelgilbert.com forward slash counseling. But I don't care if you see me or somebody else. Just go see somebody if you're wrestling in this and you need somebody safe to talk to. Well, let me pray over you and I'll send you on your way. So, Lord, we thank you for this time today. We thank you, Jesus, for what you did on the cross, that we may just have this eternal life. We may have this hope of heaven. I just speak to every single person sitting under the sound of my voice that, Lord, if they don't know you, like really know you, if they haven't given their heart and life to you, that that would be something they would get to do today. So wherever you're sitting right now, if this is you and you feel like you need to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, just open your hands and say, Jesus... I receive you as my Lord and Savior, and I confess that I am a sinner in need of you as my Savior. And is it in Jesus' name we pray this. Amen. If that is you, I want to encourage you, get into a local Bible teaching church. Let them know that, hey, something happened in your heart, that you received Jesus, and that you just need some next steps. I highly um, recommend, and I don't just recommend, you need your local church, a healthy local church. So go find that. Well, that's it for today. Hey, be sure to tune in next Monday morning as we continue our series all about Jesus in therapy. I pray this Real Talk episode brought you one step closer to living free and pursuing those God-given dreams. I'll see you back here next time on Real Talk with Rachel.